You're listening to Rock's Heart Radio. This month, Roxana Mehran discusses physician burnout, causes, and solutions with Ajay Kurtney and Sahil Parikh. Hi, this is uh, Roxana Moran coming to you uh, on Rock's Heart Radio. Welcome to my uh, program. I'm really, really excited uh, to have my two colleagues, dear friends, um, incredible colleagues uh, in interventional cardiology, Ajay Kirtane, uh, whom I know over 15 years now, I can't even believe it, and Sahil Parikh, uh, truly two key opinion leaders and leaders in interventional cardiology. Welcome. Thanks for um, having us. It's great to have you guys. How are you doing? We're great. Enjoying the summer? We're, we're, uh, we're decompressing. Decompressing, you two? Yeah, I, don't, I didn't achieve, um, you know, Sahil's return to his normal color of birth, <laughs> yes. which he got from the He's sun still in Hawaii. Looking good. He's but looking I'm looking good. forward to my vacation, which will come up soon. That's good. <laughs> That's really great. Well, uh, it's summertime, it's hot here in New York, but the topic today, which is a really uh, big one, is on physician burnout. I can tell you that um, the burnout rate is increasing. Physicians are more often anxious, depressed. They feel um, with no purpose. Um, there is a tremendous, and it has a tremendous negative impact on healthcare and how we provide healthcare. And it's important for our patients, um, our economy, everything. The, dom- the domino effect is tremendous. So I want us to talk a little bit about what is the real reason why we're all feeling so burnt out? Um, so, Sahil, are you feeling burnt out? How are you feeling today? Well, I mean, I consider myself an optimistic person, and I, I love the practice of medicine, uh, but I think that my definition of burnout is really f- f- losing that sense of mission that, that I started with when I jo- you know, joined medical school. And, and a lot of that has to do with uh, activities and tasks and mandates that I'm uh, obligated to perform that have nothing to do with patient care or with what I consider my core mission. And I I think that that runs the gamut from administrative tasks to uh, the electronic medical record and and all of the the many, many things that are taking up my time and taking me away from the patients. Um, And it also impacts one of the joys of of my life, which is teaching, Mm -hmm. uh, because my trainees are are overwhelmed uh, by these same obligations. And I think those are the things that really have um, changed over the last decade in a way that has palpably changed my enjoyment uh, in my practice. That's really sad, actually, listening to that. Um, Ajay, you're head of the uh, cath lab uh, training program. You, You have a huge record of teaching and very clinically active and also in research. So you have to be feeling burnt out, especially with the administrative functions that we just heard Sahil talk about. What do you think is the root cause of this and is there a way out? I mean, I would agree with everything that that Sahil said. I think one of the challenges though uh, that I sense on the administrative angle is that um, as physicians, our primary um, goal is to take care of patients and their families and their loved one. And every time there is something that makes us less efficient at doing that and people that don't understand that world that we live in. So if there's something, some rule or regulation that comes up that was probably conceived in a vacuum somewhere and made some sense to somebody, 
but yet directly comes in the way of us being able to take care of a sick patient, that's when things start to get really frustrating. And unfortunately, in our daily practice, it seems that those things just keep adding up and up and up. And at many hospitals, colleagues will tell you that, you know, if it's not one administrator one day, then that person goes on and gets promoted or goes somewhere else. Then there's another administrator and you have to explain really, really basic things to them. And unfortunately, we clinicians always know that at the bottom line, we really care about patients. And so no matter if someone's you know, irritable or something else, we get why they're irritable because there's somebody sick or there's something else going on. Unfortunately, that doesn't really pass muster in an administrative type of environment. I think that gets even more frustrating to many people. So I read in the New York Times this article that really like just hit me right in my gut and it was that the headline was the business of healthcare exploiting physicians and healthcare providers and that feeling that you're being exploited as someone who spent a good part of your youth studying uh, to give back and to care for patients, it has to be really, really gut-wrenching to think that there's a business in healthcare which is massive and the administrative administrators are increasing in number and salary numbers and they're putting on uh, the very, very uh, important pressures on us to produce, produce, but yet we're also under the scrutiny of appropriateness, so our production line has to be, of course, appropriate. Of course, it has to have the touch of the patient. It has to have a patient-centeredness. And so all of the pressures are coming back to the physician and to the healthcare providers. And I don't think we should underestimate the healthcare providers, our, phys our nurses, our PAs, who are so essential to all the work that we do. So what's the solution? How do you see out of this? Um, less administrators? I mean, I can tell you right now, when I go to a doctor now, for, as a patient, I don't feel like the doctor even looks at me. Uh, I don't think they even touch us anymore. I don't feel like they even examine us because they feel that the blood work and the imaging studies are doing the job and they just need to make sure they type. And actually, when I go into a patient's chart and try to understand what took place, it's the same note cut and paste over and over again. So that real important understanding of what was really going on in the patient where we would capture it in the physician writing the note, I'm not saying that we should go back to writing notes, but the truth is it's just not there. So. What's the way out? So let's come up with some positive solutions because I'm getting really depressed <laughs> and I, I, we need to get excited. I think there's a, a few things. I mean, as much as we are slaves to technology, there, there is the optimism that technology can set us free. So, for example, in a granular way, if you think about the fundamental doctor-patient interaction that has been really interrupted by the computer screen and the electronic record, there has to be an artificial intelligence way of documenting patient encounters that doesn't require the physician to actually type, type in the in. data. Um, in fact, the, the data should be easily um, you know, related via some way in which you, the doctor can just be their doctor. Sit down face-to-face -face with the patient, do a history, perform a physical exam, come up with an assessment and a plan that's conveyed to the patient in a way that's understandable to the patient, and all that can be automatically documented. I think the burden of documentation, if that were relieved, just that piece of it, um, we would have a significant improvement in the quality of life. I mean, I know that I spend hours and hours following an office day uh, where I'm documenting and charting and billing, 
Uh, and then if I don't get it done in time, I get nasty grams from my administrators that I didn't complete my charting in an in a appropriate time period. And, and those are the new nuisances that I'm sure raise my blood pressure and are eventually going to cause something really bad to happen to me. Uh, and I think so documentation is one of those things. And technology may be the way forward. You know, we're sort of in this, in this uh, morass right now because of the need to put in data manually. And if we could just do that in an automated fashion, uh, that would so improve our quality of life and the patient experience. Yeah, I've seen some people sort of dictate. Uh, you know, it's hard to kind of get that physical exam in an artificial intelligence way, but there must be a way where you could, you know, the, the, the wearables, the kinds of things so that things could get automatically charted. Ajay, what's your solution to this? No, I agree. And I think that also, um, you know, the, the premise of a good EMR these days is one that captures maximum billing. And that's right. just backwards. Um, you'd wonder why with all the technology we have in Silicon Valley, everywhere around the world, internationally, why we can't come up with a system that actually works for care of patients. Um, even the word provider I, I actually is a pet peeve of mine. I hate it um, because it's a way of just sort of widgetizing everybody within what they do in medicine. Um, and I don't provide care. I mean, I actually care for patients. There, there's this aspect of caring and the what it means to be a physician. And frankly, many people, if you go around the country, doctors often feel that um, the physician's caring for the patient is exploited in the business plans of many administrations because they'll cut resources knowing that at the end of the day, the docs are always gonna step in and work later and get the patient cared for rather than fixing the infrastructure that would allow them to do it more efficiently. So that's a negative, but I think that if people recognize that at face value, then systems could be made such that the actual care of the patients maximized as opposed to the extraction of resources from the system, which then you know promulgates this it's billing. All about the billing. So why haven't, you know, physicians are smart. We go to school almost all of our lives, you know, from kindergarten to 12th grade, then college, then medical school, then training. Why haven't we figured out to come together sort of as a coalition of physicians who could talk back to these to, to our administrators. I mean, we just continue to go with the flow because the RBU system, so for example, that has been put on us and the billing, we then, they kind of reward us with this small carrots at the end of the month, increasing your salary or what have you based on the productivity and how much billing that you have done. So we just continue to feed that beast and then we get to this point. I mean, I know that you guys want to take care of be with your families now. More and more men want to spend time with their families. I'm, I'm so, so proud of both of you seeing how much time you actually spend with your families. You're going home and you have to do electronic health records and, and not see your kids for another two hours after you get home. It's absolutely the worst. I could tell you that my kids are devastated by the fact that my husband is sitting there entering and doing his charts because he wants to be home at that hour, but he's really not home. And so this is, this is tough. So why haven't we made a coalition? Why is that a way to kind of come back or is it too late? Is the cat out of the bag? No, I think we need to do it. And frankly, it's just thing, what doctors don't do. Um, you know, it's, I can't tell you how many doctors at different institutions have seen nurses come together, or other unions come together and with what are demands that we don't understand frankly many times but we see them come together and we just don't do it because of whatever reason I, I, I don't get it but we is. really need to do it because 
honestly, if a bunch of doctors come together, it is exceedingly powerful when it happens um, at individual institutions and even across institutions. And so I, should we form a little? <laughs> maybe we need it. I don't know. It what is. do you think? The seat is right here. What do you think, Sadie? Well, I I agree that we are reluctant to unionize and to uh, to join forces as other groups have. On the other hand, um, we do have this oath to our patients, and sometimes these kinds of activities will directly uh, contravene our, our Hippocratic Oath, in that if we choose ourselves over our patients, um, that's not part of our creed. Um, and, and rightly or wrongly, I think we're at a breaking point now where if we don't do that, the future of our field collectively in medicine is in jeopardy. Because I see increasingly young people choosing not to come into medicine as a profession because of, of exactly what they see in our, in our lives. Um, I've seen senior physicians basically say, you know, I'm close enough to retirement that I can just pull the ripcord and, and, and leave medicine. Uh, and then there's those who are near retirement who say, you know, I'm just gonna grin and bear it. Uh, and then there's younger people like us, uh, I would like to think, um, who still have a long way to go and, and we're hoping we can fix it. But there's people on the very beginning of that pipeline who say, you know what, I don't need this. Right. And so I think a unionizing is a way. Leaving. Unionizing is a way to weaponize our, our power, um, but I'm not sure necessarily that it ensures a stable future. I think there's mm -hmm. got to be more um, really tangible solutions to this, and it's going to come uh, when patients and doctors join together. I think um, for the betterment of, of, of both so sides. I like that the patients coming together with their doctors. I, I can tell you that um, I. Um, I do this all the time. I have a half an hour for every patient follow-up and an hour for new patients. And they, because I'm not RVU-based, and so um, my patients love it. They just are like, it's never happened. No one's ever talked to me. No one's ever looked at my eyes. And this is amazing. So I think this is really, really a great thing. But before we close, we have to come up with some positive thoughts and, and remarks. So give me one instant in the last week where you felt great as a hero, as someone who cared for a patient, and, and what made you feel so good about that, Ajay? Um, you know, Give just me one yesterday, yesterday there was a patient that came, transferred from an outside hospital, I took care of him, um, went home, and I was thinking about the patient. By the way, we're told not to think about patients. When we're off, we're off. Right. Come on, that, that's happen. not what we do. So I was thinking about the patient, and I texted his daughter. Why do I? Why does she have my cell phone number? Because I fight the power, and I give people my cell phone numbers, and hopefully there won't be like a massive influx of patients to yeah. my practice. Cause I, can't I had to block it. my Instagram but, last uh, week. But uh, no, so it can be. But anyway, I texted the daughter, and I, I just asked how he was doing, and and she responded and told me and said thank you. And it's those interactions that are really unique to what we do. And there's thousands of those interactions that occur. And you really have to think about them in a doubt moment to then say, hey, yes, this is still worth it. And I'm not RVU either. Did you so document that in Epic? I did not. I did not. And I texted <laughs> non-HIPAA compliant stuff. And I don't really care. Right. So but you go. made a connection. That's, That's what right. I'm saying. That's you right. made a connection and you felt good. And you felt uh, you felt great about that. I, mean, I think so the stories are similar. I mean, I, I, I see a lot of clinical patients yes. in the office every week and, and do a decent number of procedures. And, and it's those individual wins that we live for, uh, the days when you've made an impact. So I, I had the same experience. Uh, all my patients pretty much have my cell phone. And, and I have a young patient of mine who has a, 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 a vascular disorder that has resulted in a cardiomyopathy. Oh. And he had sudden death 
um, swimming uh, in the pool with his young kids and his wife. Mm. He had just gotten out of out of the water. So cardiomyopathy is when the heart gets weak. Right. Because we want to open this to That's right. So he has a, a weak heart muscle that predisposes him to fatal arrhythmias. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had been having a conversation about having a defibrillator implanted, and he was reluctant uh, because of what he thought perceived as lifestyle limitations. And um, so his wife called me as he, she performed CPR. Mm-hmm. He was shocked and he was completely awake and alert at the scene. Uh, was brought to a local hospital, and she called me and said, I'm sorry to bother you, I know it's Sunday night, uh, but uh, this happened. And I, I sat bolt upright, and I called her back immediately. We got him transferred to our center. We, we uh, took care of him, um, and you know we've gotten a defibrillator implanted, and mm-hmm. he's gonna continue on with our team to, to hopefully be a transplantation candidate. Um, and if ever there was a moment where I felt, you know, this, this guy has kids that are almost the same age as me, um, what a difference and, you're and, making. And right? I think I, I didn't necessarily do anything other than facilitate his care, uh, but it was one of those moments that we live for. It's true, and the, the, this is so important because the pipeline is leaking from the talented young individuals who no longer seek to come into uh, medicine because of all of these important burnout issues. And I think we have to continue to remind our listeners that this is one of the most rewarding fields um, and you truly make a difference uh, on a huge, huge level. And we've got to find a solution to k- take care of the burnout. So thank you so much for being here. Wonderful conversation. And I think this will make it great listening. Keep listening. Signing off. Thank you.